So we are beginning our season of Advent. It, I don't know about you, but it, it feels uh, difficult when it's this close to Thanksgiving. I was telling Nate before we began this morning, like if I'm really honest, I, I can't quite get into the Christmas season, not yet. So in order to, um, to begin the season of Advent in, in sincerity and worship, I had to really just spend this week of like, you know, reminding myself and getting myself immersed into what it was. And so um, we're going to begin over the next four weeks for certain is the season of Advent. Um, and it's not entirely known when the church actually began celebrating it on the calendar, but that doesn't really matter because we know that woven deep into the DNA and the fabric of the Lord's people is, is a celebration and a recognition, as Rick said already, of, of the two Advents, of the, of the Advent of his birth, what was, and if we could say, and the coming of Christ into our own hearts in the present day. We can also celebrate that in the season. And of course, looking forward, and I think it's the, this, this habit that we have given ourselves to yearly, it does well if we engage diligently in it. Because we know that just things are fighting for our hearts and our affections and our time and our thoughts. And, um, and the, this, this next month will ramp up considerably for many people. And we find ourselves at just a bit of a frenetic pace. And so to allow ourselves a length of time and a season, if you will, to meditate and to contemplate, to worship, to think of, I, I just want to encourage you, church, to not let this just be the, the warm and fuzzy visions of sugar plum nostalgia season, but to really work for capturing what is this that we are worshiping and what is the significance of it for me now and for us now and God's people in this day and age. And this is a beautiful, beautiful season as the church to be together. This is our season, church, in the sense of like, this is what we are about. And this, of course, it leads us to the resurrection time, and when we celebrate around the cross and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And so there's movement here, and let's be a part of the movement in our own hearts and give ourselves to it. So one of the ways um, that we've come up just to help us very simply steep our hearts in the truth from week to week and the things that we are talking about and considering is just making them, um, you should have received a handout as you came in. That's, it's just a pamphlet. Um, it's a bit of a devotional for the theme of each week. So this week, we're going to be worshiping and meditating around the subject of Wonderful Counselor. And so we've just written something. We've given some additional scripture, um, even a prayer to just give yourself to if you so desired. And we're wanting to encourage each one of us, ourselves included, to engage, as I've just said. So um, we trust that you'll, you'll meet with the Lord, and, um, and we trust that he will meet with us as we come to worship him as he so faithfully does. Amen? So I would say just as we begin, as it pertains to Advent, we've, we find ourselves today as God's people in a rather remarkable and beautiful moment in history, in redemptive history, we live in the absolute joy of life of the new covenant. Think about that for a minute. I mean, just, you know, Rick, as you had, had said, like, I got hung up this morning on that truth from Hebrews 1, 
It's like it, sometimes, church, we move from truth to truth to truth to truth, and we do it so quickly sometimes that we miss the depth and the significance of that truth in its entirety. We really have to wrestle sometimes. And so in this season, too, we live, church, in a remarkable age. In the age of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the age that thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of other men and women who were in Christ longed for before the Messiah's first coming. They, they looked, and the longing that they had towards Christ's coming into the world is the same longing, church, that we ought to feel so deeply for his return one day. And so we live in this place of, of, of this brilliant privilege of being able to look back to the cross of Jesus Christ, having the revelation of the cross, having the revelation of Jesus as the wisdom of God, as the power of God, manifest in flesh, the firstborn among many brothers, his word tells us. To, to live in this day and age and to look back to that moment and look forward to what will be. This is a privileged age, as difficult as it might seem from time to time. And we look forward to the day and the moment when Christ will redeem finally and ultimately. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I let my heart, if there's one way that genuine and true wonder overcomes me personally, it's when I allow my heart and my mind to wander through eternity and what that is. I mean, for me, it, it, it's like immediate when I stop and I go, I will not ever die again. I can't fathom it. And that, that feeling, and if, if, you, if you, that resonates with you, but that feeling that overcomes us is the wonder that we are to genuinely experience as those who are in the new covenant age. I want to talk more about that in a moment. So Advent is the, the season to celebrate what was the birth of Christ, what is the revelation of grace into our own hearts, and his coming to us personally, and of course, what will be in his return. Not only that, but it's also a moment as we did this morning, and I don't know if you found it difficult or not. You don't have to raise your hand and tell me if you did. But I think within this season too, it's okay, and I think it's, it's actually right to lament a bit of the sinful state of mankind's heart, and, but always in view of the Messiah's coming and the hope and the joy that he brought and will, of course, again, bring. And so we find ourselves in this season asking ourselves, how long, O Lord? Do you ever ask yourself that? How long, O Lord? That's a good question to ask ourselves. When we ask ourselves in that, we stir, I think, a righteous discontentment within our own hearts a holy discontentment. Because when we are saying how long, it's a, it's a confession that what we are presently living in is not enough. It's not adequate. It's not fulfilling the longing of our own hearts. It's not fulfilling what we were created for. And so 
we find in this season, we celebrate Christ's first and second coming. We meditate and we reflect upon the sinfulness of man and the weary world that rejoices at the revelation of Christ Jesus and how the sinful heart finds peace in the Lamb of God who took on flesh and the joy in the most certain hope of his return and humanity's ultimate redemption. And so as we go from year to year, we don't follow the traditional always hope, joy, peace, love in terms of the themes of Advent. We just kind of immerse ourselves in what has God been speaking. And so this year it's Isaiah. Um, just decided to give ourselves to the themes that Isaiah prophesies in chapter 9. So if you would, please, would you open your Bibles to Isaiah 9? And I want to ask you, um, each one of us, because I'm sure this is an appropriate comment, that it's a, such a familiar text, particularly in this kind of year, or in this kind of year, this, this moment of the year, that uh, we become overly familiar with it. And so I just want to read, and I'm going to read from beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read on through verse 7 from the ESV, and I want you just to listen to the beautiful and poetic language that Isaiah uses. And listen, this is some, like almost 800 years before Christ's birth. 800 years. Think of where we are now and what was happening 800 years ago. I mean, it's like we're so far disconnected. But here, the, the Spirit of God, it, God speaks to Isaiah and moves upon him to prophesy And here is the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff For his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. This, as I, as I read and just meditated upon this, this last week, actually week and a half, really, and I just was so blown away by not just the, the, the kind of poetic cadence that Isaiah uses, but really just the juxtaposition of what was and then what will be in Isaiah's prophecy. 
And it's so beautifully seen, even just going from the imagery of, he says, of, of, the, of the battle and the blood will be used as fuel for his fire and then immediately for to us a child in the innocence and the gentility and the humility and the condescension that Christ made for us. Just overcome by the beauty of that. And so as we begin today, just steeping our hearts in this season of Advent, I'd like to begin uh, with a word from the Prince of Preachers, our dear brother Charles Spurgeon, who opened his commentary with these words on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And he says this, there are a thousand things in this world that are called by names that do not belong to them. But Christ is called wonderful because he is so. God the Father never gave his son a name which he did not deserve. I love that statement. There is no panegyric here, no flattery. It's just the simple name that he deserves. They that know him best will say that the word doth not overstrain his merits, but rather falls infinitely short of his glorious deserving Can we say that, church? His name is called Wonderful. And Mark, it does not merely say that God has given him the name Wonderful, though that is implied, but his name shall be called so. It shall be. It is at this time called Wonderful by all the believing people, and it shall be. As long as the moon endureth, there shall be found men and angels and glorified spirits who shall always call him by his right name. His name shall be called Wonderful. I just thought what an excellent way to begin with what I want to say today. And the, the descriptive that Isaiah uses here in chapter 9 in verse 6 to speak of God's counsel is the word wonderful. And by that, when it's rightly seen, that it means it causes man's heart to wonder to be in wonder, the counsel of God. However, before we ourselves today can wonder at God's counsel, we must better understand what it is that is being communicated, which causes the wonder. And this is what I want to just immerse us in this morning. And there's two aspects of this title of Wonderful Counselor that I want to reflect upon today. The first is this, Christ is Wonderful Counselor in that he gives guidance to us. He's a wonderful counselor because he gives guidance to us like a king to his people or a child to his father. He instructs, he speaks, he guides, and he directs with wisdom and with truth. Amen? He is a benevolent and a faithful Lord who, as Asaph would say in Psalm 73, he guides us with his counsel and afterwards will receive us into glory. Brothers and sisters, listen even to that beautiful and simple statement. See, there is faith and hope in Christ's counsel and a certainty as a result of it that he will not lead us astray. There is a certainty that he will not lead us as his people astray. This Psalm 73 tells us that he doesn't simply Point us in the right direction, 
with the hopes that we'll achieve the desired outcome. What the psalm tells us is that he guides us, that he goes beside us, he comes along with us in instruction, and he receives us into our ultimate and final outcome. What a joy and what a hope that is. Can we really say that we are in wonder and awe of this great God? I was thinking just about this and illustratively, I think at times this idea, I think it's easy for us to to agree with the truth that God guides us. But can we actually say that we believe that he not only guides but will receive us into glory, the certainty of the outcome? And I was thinking it's almost akin in an illustration to a parent if you've had a child and you've ever taught a child to ride a bike, what do you do? You teach them how to ride. You tell them how to stop. You tell them how to turn. You might even hold your hand on the seat and help them get going while they stabilize. But what do you do? At some point, you let the child go to watch them go on their own. But, but what is unlike our natural experience and our natural perspective is that God not just does all those things but his hand actually remains on us as we continue through. And if we could even conjure up the picture that even while he guides, he's on the other side waiting to receive us when we finish riding our bike. And of course, that illustration falls short, but it's just something in our minds of like, can we really say with conviction and assurance that the certainty of the outcome will be because God, his counsel is true and perfect and wise. His counsel, it guarantees his desired outcome. This is so because his counsel is trustworthy. It's trustworthy unto the end because it is true and because it is right. David in Psalm 33, he confesses This certainty when he proclaims this, the word of the Lord, David says. In other words, what the Lord says is upright. It is correct. It is true. And then David says this, and all of his works is done in faithfulness. The word of the Lord is upright and all of his work is done in faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, the Lord cannot speak a lie. Therefore, what he has said can most certainly be counted upon. And so as his children, as those who call him Lord, as those who call him King and Father, we follow after him, we can declare to ourselves and to others that his decrees are certain, that they are trustworthy, and they most certainly will accomplish his desired goals. But however faith-stirring and stimulating this reality is, I believe that more important than the truth that he is wonderful counselor because he guides us. As beautiful and true as that is, is more important is the content of this guidance. The wisdom of the counsel that God has spoken through Jesus Christ. And so the second aspect of him being wonderful counselor is this, that he communicates to us on God's behalf. He is wonderful counselor because of what he speaks to mankind. 
And this is where I believe the wonder truly overtakes us as his people. What is it that he communicates to us? The depth, the breadth, the height, and the totality, and the glorious beauty of God's gift of redemption through Christ Jesus. That is what Jesus speaks. That is what God communicates through Christ to his people. Jesus Christ himself is the counsel of God revealed. Think about this for a moment, which is why we began with that reading from Hebrews as we began. We began as we began. Think of this. Imagine that I'm a lawyer and you come to me and you need legal counsel. You think that'd be a match made in heaven, right? You say, listen, uh, great aunt Mildred, she just died. She's left me her estate. I'm looking for some, some legal counsel on titles and taxes and rights and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, yeah, I've, I've got a legal background. Let's, let's have it. But what I don't tell you is that my background is actually in, I'm an accident and injury lawyer, where you call all fours for legal help, right? I don't tell you that. Now, what I'm saying is going to be true, but my question to you, brothers and sisters, is does the content of my counsel, even though what I'm saying in, is true in terms of facts, while it might not be addressing what you've come to me for, the content of my counsel, is it effective if I'm not addressing the root issue? But see, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, has spoken to the root issue of the heart of humanity. God has spoken once and for all time, now through Jesus Christ. And these were the words that we began with long ago. And I love how Hebrews begins with this. And I was just telling uh, my dad this week how teaching through Hebrews was one of the most enjoyable uh, series we've done thus far since I've been leading this church. And as it just begins, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But what, brothers and sisters? In these last days, he has spoken through his son. Oh, I'd like, I've got just the chills. In these last days, church, God has spoken through one means. And it is the ultimate and final and complete method and means, Jesus Christ himself. And of course, we know John's words speaks the same thing. In essence, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And what then does John say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only son begotten of the father. Brothers and sisters, this is what we wonder at. This is why he is wonderful counselor because he speaks to his people and he reveals to the rest of the world the eternal wisdom of God that was formed before the creation of the world and purposed in his heart that Christ would come that Christ would be revealed, that Christ would speak, that Christ would answer, that he would deal with 
This is where the wonder should overtake us, brothers and sisters. We need to be reminded that God has spoken to us once and for all time through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, is the power and the wisdom of God made into flesh and into bone in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what does he speak? What is this final and ultimate word? He is, the word tells us, Jesus Christ is the mystery that was hidden for ages of generations, but now is revealed to who? Do you know who? The saints. Revealed to us. This wisdom, this power, this word that so many longed for, for generation upon generation upon generation has been revealed in Christ Jesus to us. To us. Why? Who am I? Who am I that I should deserve such, a, such an amazing and beautiful and wonderful gift? Who am I? Why would he choose me? But brothers and sisters, he has. He's chosen us. Not that we are anything great. Not that we were so deserving. Not because he foreknew the good that we would do. But because of his love and his mercy and his care and his desire that not even one would perish. He reveals himself. Our wonderful counselor speaks to us the fullness of redemption enacted and applied. While we might not walk in it completely, Jesus Christ speaks the fullness of redemption to his people and to humanity. Specifically, let me just give a few things before I end here today. Our wonderful counselor speaks to us the cross and the lamb as the instruments of atonement, purposed in God's mind since before the foundation of the world, through which he would make peace between himself and humanity. That is what our wonderful counselor speaks. Our wonderful counselor, he speaks justification, whereby we are declared not only not guilty, but we are also Declared now duly free and forever without condemnation. Our wonderful counselor speaks regeneration in which we are made new in heart and soul and one day will, from, will be made new from our head to our toes. This is what our wonderful counselor speaks, church. He speaks sanctification in which his promises, in which he promises, spirit, spirit-caused transformation to take place. He speaks of his will and purposes of sanctification in the lives of his people, in which his Holy Spirit causes us to be changed and transformed and made into his likeness. Our wonderful counselor speaks of adoption, wherein having set us free, he sets each of us then together. He places us, 
He joins us, he knits us, he unites us, and he preserves our unity as we pursue him together. Let me ask you this. If Christ was not alive this day, if Christ had not come, if Christ had not been revealed to your hearts, would you find yourselves in this room today united with these individuals, with these calling them brothers and sisters? At very best, we unite around a common affection, right? So this would have to be like the knitting club or something of that nature in order for us to really find ourselves bound in unity. But what Christ has done is he's taken and plucked each one of us from wild in, in various backgrounds into much different degrees even of darkness and bondage, if you will, from one person to another. And he places us together. And not only does he place us, but he binds us together with one another. Brothers and sisters, this is why, again, covenant membership is not a means by which the church leaders are going to stick their thumbs on you and get control of you. It's not why we encourage you into covenant membership. It's because the hearts of men and women wander and we're prone to wandering. And in that wandering, we're actually speaking a lie against the nature of God and his purpose for his people and in his church of binding and uniting and tying by grace into a common purpose. Our wonderful counselor, he speaks what? He speaks our glorification. Redemption fully applied to our hearts. How many times have you heard that statement said in your life? Think on it again with fresh ears right now and fresh faith. Our wonderful counselor in this moment, he speaks to your heart your glorification. If you suffer from sickness, if you suffer from weariness, if you just are sick of this, this mortal body that you have, he comes to you and he speaks what is true. That these are vessels to show himself as powerful, to show himself as good and merciful and loving. And he will sustain us and will surely bring us unto glory by which then he renews us and transforms our being into whatever awaits us, which I'm pretty certain is better than the one I've got right now. <laughs> Most certainly. Our wonderful counselor, he speaks eternity. God's promise of Emmanuel fully realized. God's promise of Emmanuel fully realized. That the word who once dwelt with us will once again dwell with us forever. Boy, that causes my heart to wonder. Oh, God, brothers and sisters, what will it be like? What will it be like? The older I get, the less afraid I am of eternity, and the greater it becomes in my heart and mind. When I was a teenager, I did not want to think about it. Even when I was in my 20s, I didn't want to think about it. I just wanted what was in front of me. I wanted, because I wanted to say like, I want to live this life. I want to have a wife and I want to have children. And those are wonderful things that, God's, that God gives to us in his love and mercy. But I tell you, I think by the time I'm older, older, <laughs> I will be ready. At, honestly, the older I get, the more it makes sense how faithful brothers and sisters welcome eternity with open arms. 
I pray I'll be like one of them. He speaks to us hope. I'm almost finished. Our wonderful counselor speaks hope. That what God began, he will finish. He speaks renewal. Again, that redemption will be applied not just to us, but to all of God's creation. When I began to understand God's design and intent in redemption in its final act of renewing all things, that's where my excitement began to grow for what eternity will be like. Heaven is not our destination, brothers and sisters. God will recreate once again. Just as he began with in the beginning, he will do so again. And that recreation will be untainted. It will be unmarred by sin. My guess is our senses will be fully redeemed. In whatever glorified state that is, it's much better than it is right now. It, it, it's going to be amazing. And he speaks to us grace. Brothers and sisters, our wonderful counselor speaks to us now, to his people, grace that we've been given it freely and that all that we need to experience all of this life, to live for him fully, to obey him fully, to glorify him as much as we possibly can, he has given to us grace upon grace upon grace. Brothers and sisters, our wonderful counselor speaks to us the grace of God that abounds each and every day. And on and on and on. And there's more things that I could go on by saying of what he speaks to us as his people. This counsel that God has revealed through Christ Jesus. So you see, church, Christ's word of wisdom for the direction of our lives, him as a, as a guidance, as much of a blessing as, and as an anchor that that is, much more significant than that is what God has spoken to us. The content of what he speaks, if you will, through Christ Jesus. May we wonder in that completely. And with that in view then, now we are better positioned to experience the wonder that Isaiah speaks of. See, wonderful is fitting of Jesus because it literally characterizes every aspect of his life in ministry. His birth was miraculous and full of wonder. Was it not? His life, untainted by sin, ought to cause us to wonder. But church, again, these words, they become diminished in our minds and thin. Let's recapture them for what they are. His death, of course, causes wonder. His resurrection, if not, we're, we must be dead ourselves. So too does his message cause us to wonder. It is who he is. He is wonderful. Isaiah's usage here was intended to communicate that which is extraordinary and difficult to be understood. That's what that word is there. Incomprehensible and therefore causing delight and admiration. Mind-blowing. So church, let your hearts, let your minds wander through the beauty of God's redemptive plan as seen in his son, Jesus Christ. Let your mind go towards eternity to what awaits, what you're uncertain of, 
that which is incomprehensible. And above all, brothers and sisters, may we let our hearts wander the halls of truth that is the application of that to our life and to our family's lives this season. What it means today, what it means for us now. And just again to finish with the words that he says, where Spurgeon says, wonderful is just the simple name that he deserves. I love that statement. It is the simple name that he deserves because it is who he is. And as I was preparing just for the songs this week and as I began to look at some of the songs that we sing that are more of the Advental hymns, one of them came to me and it's one of my favorite and it's the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's my absolute favorite just because it takes you through a bit of the lament and into praise and the minor chords and the, and the major resolves, etc. And one of the verses that I came across, if you ever look back oftentimes in the more modernized hymns, you'll see that we skip a lot of the beautiful verses for what reason, I don't know. But there is a verse in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and it's the second stanza And these are the words to it, and I finish with this. He says this. It speaks perfectly to what I said this morning. O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily. To us, the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. And we go with our hearts to the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, has come to us, O Israel. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Father, I'm reminded this morning, there was a song we sang years ago, and it was something of the lines of, may we never lose the wonder. Lord, I, I fear that we have perhaps never fully understood it rightly to experience in the way of which you have intended it to. Lord, we understand that when we see you in the light of who you really are, and by that I mean that you open our hearts to understand and to receive revelation further of you, of your nature, of Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished, the natural inclination of the heart is to be astonished and to marvel and wonder at the extraordinary nature of what you have done. Lord, would you restore that to your people? Father, where we have become overly familiar with Jesus Christ, or perhaps where we have not even understood him rightly, and Lord, we relate wrongly at times. Would you restore the wonder to our hearts? Father, this day, would you speak to us so clearly of who Jesus is? Remind us, Lord, again and again and again of all that you are speaking through Christ Jesus. That he is the ultimate word of God. That he is the final word. That he is the complete and total and all-sufficient word. Jesus, you are wonderful because that is who you are. It is a simple name that you deserve because all that you do causes us to wonder. Father, I pray that this would be a season of wonder. Even as we go from week to week, anticipating the following week's theme, may we wonder and marvel at all of the aspects of both your first and second advent, Lord God. 
Make us an extraordinary people in how we live and how we think and in what we see, O oh God. Give us minds like yours and eyes like yours and mouths to speak what you would speak, our Lord. God, we glorify you and magnify you in this day. And we look forward to these next few weeks and to what you will do. And Lord, just cause us to be steeped in truth from week to week as we go out of this building now, Lord, we ask. Keep us in your ways, Father. May they be dear to our hearts and constantly on our minds. Lord, that we would not wander. May we not wander, O Lord but be near to you. Father, we love you. Glorify yourself in this people, in this day, we pray. Amen.